electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the week that decides everything. From mega cap tech earnings to the critical Fed meeting, your money hanging in the balance over the next several days. So we will debate how to position ahead of that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Josh Brown, Joe Terranova, Jenny Harrington, both of whom are here on set with me today. Let's go to the wall, check the markets. It's 12 noon in the East. See what we're doing on this first day of what is a very big and important week. The Dow's good right now for about 90, 31,000. We're just below 32 uh, on the Dow. S&P below 4, 39.69. That's a Marginal move uh, to the upside. Nasdaq's a bit negative. 281 is the yield on the 10-year. 175 S&P companies, Apple, Alphabet, Amazon, Microsoft, and Meta. I said the Fed meeting, got GDP, you got core PCE. Joe Terranova. Man, a lot is at stake. Dizzying week. Did I overstate it? No, you did not. decides everything? I mean, it does in terms of the the bounce, rally, whatever you are calling it these days. It, I, I, it's going to be curious on Friday. What's what's going to be the headline and the takeaway from the week? I think it might be recession. I think that will be the word that everyone over the weekend is uh, bantering about. The three months to a 10 year is going to invert. I've been talking about this. It was 233 in May. Got as low as 27 basis points positive earlier this morning. I think it's about 33 right now. The inversion is going to happen and everyone's going to come out. And they're going to say, OK, deep recession. Here we go. But this is a week where the bullish momentum that actually has been established in the market over the last 10 days will be challenged. And I'll tell you, if you come out of the week or confirmed or confirmed, and if you come out of that with that bullish momentum surviving, that's a decent signal in terms of stability. Um, As you know, I bought the Qs last week. Mm -hmm. It is not uh, it is not Joe that's buying the cues. It's the market is dictating to me. I'm reacting to it, getting into that position. I've got to stop in place at 293, so I'm not going to lose money on it. And I'm going to hold it for the entirety of the week. And the market will tell me when I'm wrong or right. Okay. Very interesting commentary today from Mike Wilson of Morgan Stanley. Jenny, I want to read you the following, because I, I think we're kind of all in this boat, whether you're positive or negative. While we are convinced this is anything but a bear market rally, It does beg the question, is something going on here we're missing that could make this a more sustainable low and even the end to the bear market? He's not willing to suggest he's missing anything. However, the magnitude of the move has bears second-guessing themselves to some respects. Let's remind everybody, by the way, where we are from the June lows. We got this wall. I just want to show you because we don't read these numbers enough in terms of where we've come from. We have these conversations about where we where we think we may go to. But here's where we're from. Dow's eight percent from the intraday lows in June. S&P's nine. The Russell 2010. The Nasdaq, as you know, has been the big winner. It's up eleven and a half percent. So what about that? Is Mike Wilson missing something or is he right to think this is nothing more 
than a bear market bounce. I don't know if it's missing something, right? But think about what his job is. If he just pivots hardcore back and forth, he's going to lose credibility. So he needs to start paving the way. And I think he's starting to see it the way I'm seeing it now, which is the second quarter did a tremendous amount of work for us. The second quarter consolidated everyone's expectations. So as we go into this earnings season, expectations are probably pretty reasonable. The second quarter consolidated and reset valuations. The, the second quarter brought, and into, the, into July, it brought this concept of recession into all of our dialogue, right? We're all talking about that. At this point, if, they, if we're in a recession, who's gonna be surprised, right? It's gonna be ho-hum. And I think that's kind of what Mike Wilson is doing too, is paving the way to become more bullish. You think it's gonna be ho-hum if it's yeah. confirmed that we're in a recession, then the question, well, aren't the questions then going to be, is it going to be shallow or deep? Yes. And this is where Joe said a deep recession. I would argue that it probably isn't likely to be a deep recession. But what's in people's minds, because we talked about this last week, is that availability heuristic, that availability bias. We are biased to think that the next recession that we're going to experience is like the past two. If you look at a history of recession, the past two have been severe, wildly severe by historic measures. Odds are that it's a more normal recession by historical standards. And maybe that's not so bad. Scott, I don't know anyone, even my mom's asking me about recession. Yeah, I know, but because the moves by the Fed are also by historical standards. Okay, right? fair enough. But let's get into one other thing. All right, so why the fear of recession? Why, why are people afraid of recessions? Two reasons. One, you're afraid of losing your job. Two, you're afraid of losing money. Probably everyone watching this show is more afraid of losing money, which is why they watch this. And recession, you equate it with bear market. We're there. We've been in a bear market. It's been stretching on for a while. So let's get this recession out of the way. Let's understand that recessions are a normal part of the investment process. Yeah, I know a normal that. part of the economy. I hear you. I hear you. It but, sounds good until the stock market. You look up and the S&P's down 40 percent. You're like, OK, I'm glad we got this one out of the way. No, after you, you know, it's down. It's down but 20. I'm going to I'm going to bet that we've seen the worst. Right, I don't think. I, I agree. Right. Let me get jo let me get Josh in, too. So, okay. Josh, you know, you've heard the two views on the desk. Weigh in with your perspective on somebody who probably has been in the man, you, you, SPF zero on you. Like Joe is Joe's SPF negative. That's a, <laughs> SPF zero for you. Okay, that's neither here nor there. It just threw me for a minute. <laughs> the jet skis don't have the the roofs. Uh, Wolf says fade the bear market rally, and that's largely where I think you've been. Take the opportunity to to sell. What about today? Well, let's back up. In fairness, Joe's got that beautiful olive-toned Mediterranean skin. I am half Irish, half Jewish. There's not a prayer for me this time of year. So uh, it really wouldn't matter what I put on unless it's a... Yeah, I would have to put on a beekeeper suit. All right. Uh, look, last week, nobody pays attention to AT&T anymore, even though it's a Dow component. But if you did pay attention, then you saw them come out... Um, Miss earning, uh, cut their guidance uh, for free cash flow by a billion dollars. And do you want to know why they did that? Because they said people aren't paying their bills. This is incredible. This is the largest uh, mobile carrier in America saying that they are having trouble collecting to the tune of a billion dollars Delin delinquent cell phone bills. Okay? Think, think about how desperate their customers have to be to not stay current on a cell phone. You literally cannot live in America or anywhere else in the world without like working mobile telephony. So that is what I would consider to be a uh, high frequency 
uh, data point and something that very acutely explains a lot of the reason why consumers already feel like they're in a recession, even if statistically we don't have that confirmation yet. The good news is recession is now consensus. So to say, oh, we're going to have a recession, that's like what everyone already thinks, not like normal people, but like people on Wall Street. It's consensus. So to Jenny's point, the second quarter was very important because we did a lot of the work and most of it Mm -hmm. was on the back of solid earnings, solid revenue, but just declining multiple. But here's the problem with that. Now we're getting the actual earnings decline, and it is not pretty. And it's not catastrophic, and it's not 2008 or anything like that, but uh, we're hearing fundamentals starting to confirm what multiples were already worried about. Now, the good news is it's predominantly coming from two places, tech and finance. The bad news is those are two of the most important sectors, uh, earnings-wise and market cap weighting-wise, in the S&P. So let's start with uh, financials. They have been the big drag on the headline year-over-year growth rate. So financials are reporting earnings that are down 26% from the year prior. You could say that's already in the stocks, blah, blah, blah. Okay, to some extent it is now. Um, These stocks have not done well. Uh, But still, that is a very big drop-off, and there is no evidence anywhere that we should expect that to rebound. May not get much worse, but it's definitely heading in the wrong direction. Tech is not great either. So we've, we've seen uh, technology companies so far down 8.9% from the same quarter last year. Revenues are up 2.8%, but I would say don't throw a party. That's in nominal terms. Things just cost more right now. So what does all so that, that mean earnings, then? Uh, what, what is all that? So then, well, then you're the suggesting project- that Mike Wilson's not missing anything, right, and thinking that this is just a bear market bounce and a good one, and maybe it can even go further depending on what happens in this big and critical week, Josh. But as you just said, don't start throwing a party think that, thinking that it's something more for all of the reasons that you just named. Is, is that essentially where you would come down on that, that question of Mike Wilson missing something or not? Okay, I'll bottom line this by phrasing my answer in the form of a question. We've seen 106 <laughs> S&P 500 companies report so far for Q2, which is about 21% of the total companies in the index. The total earnings for these companies are down 6.9%, negative 7%. Is it likely, Jennifer, is it likely, Joseph, that this is a one-quarter pullback in earnings and we're restored back to the previous uh, upward trend? Or historically, is it more likely that this is just the start of something and the markets may not have fully priced it in yet. Joshua, I'll, I'll turn it over Joshua, to either one of you. Joshua, I will tell you that I agree with you. That's that's a great observation. That's correct. And I think, as as Jenny mentioned before, right now everyone's pricing in a recession that looks tepid, and I I, I agree with that. I well, don't that's think why we the S and P is on, only right only I, exactly down twenty percent. I don't see a deeper recession, but but uh, to to Josh and Jenny, the the risk that I see. And what the Federal Reserve can control is not a deep recession, not a shallow recession, but a double dip recession. And those happen. And that's the concern that I have in the, in, in the market right now. And the reason I'm concerned about that is what I don't want the Federal Reserve to do is say, oh, wait a second. Crude oil, like Jimmy's been saying, crude oil, gasoline prices down 25 percent. Lumber prices. Oh, wait a second. OK, we see that the inflation starting to come down. No, 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 no. You have to stay 
with the policy of being extremely hawkish to ensure that you're in fighting inflation now and in the future, because inflation in the future is going to occur again. You're coming into a winter season where energy prices and energy supply is going to be a concern. So you're, so you're not you don't think that they're going to come off. And then I want to get specific into earnings. Let's make yep. this the last comment on this part of the, the, the discussion. You don't think they're going to come off with some sort of dovish thing or, or do you I more dovish sounding that I'm, I'm with talk- Joe. Yeah. And Jenny, what about you? It sounds like you think they might suggest that, okay, inflation's coming down. And part of your narrative as to why you don't think it's going to be as bad, even if we have a recession, it'll be shallow and brief, is that they will make some sort of pivot at some point. No, my narrative isn't based on the Fed. I think the Fed's going to do what the Fed's going to do. But my narrative and why I'm feeling better is because we all look out six to 12 months. So I'm kind of looking at earnings this way. And this hopefully will give you your segue, too. Half the year, we're seven months done. That $230 for for 2022 is seven months done. We're going to start looking out, right? And so even if even if earnings for this year or for the second half or next quarter or this quarter are reduced by five, six, seven percent, we're going to start looking out to next year. So now it's what's going to happen with 2023. Sure, but Josh's point is that they're going to be reduced to much more than five, six, or seven percent. Maybe just the market is having a hard time coming to grips with accepting the reality of that. I, I would argue that the market came to the grips with the reality of that in June when we bottomed it down 24% on the year. And then I think we started to pivot and we started to look out. And this is where I say like, we all know the Fed's hiking by 75 basis points. That's not a surprise. We kind of know what's out there. So it's, start, it's time to start looking past this week, right? This is gonna be a crazy week, but I, I suspect that we have unbelievable noise this week and not a lot of huge sorry, news. I think sorry, that, sorry, 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 sorry. One Joshua? sec, one sec, one sec. The market is, the market, you're right. The market is looking past this week. And you know what it's doing? It's pricing in rate cuts <laughs> starting next summer. It's You're already right. telling you. It's already telling you uh, that that the Fed is going to have to start easing. That's look at so look you- at the look at the journal today. That's the big mm-hmm. story. So the market is doing what you're suggesting, and when it looks out, it is not as positive as you are. But you need to define my positivity. Right. And let's and that's something that's important when I'm saying I'm more to. positive. OK, I need to define my positivity. I do not. Do I think we're going to end the year up? Probably not. Right. Could we be up six percent from here? Maybe. Could we be down five percent? Maybe. That's a lot less severe than what we've been through. So my positivity is not thinking that we're going to have a bull market recovery like we've had the past several times we've had bear markets. I don't think we're going to have a ricochet off the bottom and a V-shaped recovery. I just think things are going to get better. But your part of your perspective, too, though, is that the market has already priced in all of the negativity uh, that you see. A lot of the negativity. Right? I think so. But it hasn't priced in a steeper decline in earnings. Right. Fair. It hasn't priced in a more severe, if not steeper recession. Right. I don't That's know. Fair. Or did it or did it when it bottomed so far? On how June 16th, it? How, how would it, it was down 24 percent, right? We got down to a 15.9 times multiple. We thought that the Fed was maybe going to hike by 100 basis points and kind of responded and digested that. So it might have. I'm not sure. Look, Tom Lee is out today. I mean, look, he, he publishes every day and we don't read his notes every single day. <laughs> Just um, but he said they are reaching the quote unquote neutral rate. He says risk reward. And this is a big conversation that we've been trying to have almost every day. We've had a big decline. We had a nice bounce. Where is risk reward? Is it more in your favor now or is it still not so much? He said that it is skewed now to the upside and supports the stronger second half that he has been preaching on this network for weeks. 
Not to mention that positioning is so bearish that he sees a second half rally being intact. He said the 36-month 1982 bear market, everybody tries to look back at history and glean what it means for today. He said that was reversed in four months. Yep, four months. So when you say bear markets are a thing of price and time, you can say, okay, well, the market has come down a lot, but it's been too short. So it hasn't run its course yet from a calendar perspective enough to convince those that maybe it's come to an end. Now, that brings us to what is really at stake this week beyond the Fed meeting, which we've discussed and what all of you have your eye on, obviously. And then the earnings, which start uh, really uh, tomorrow. Alphabet and Microsoft are tomorrow. I thought we would would take these individually, um, that that would be a better way to, to look at this. I think almost everybody owns and loves Microsoft, by the way. So what's the view, Joe, on Microsoft? Are you concerned about enterprise? Are you concerned about currency, which they've already told you, you better stand up and take notice of what's happening in currency? And that was six weeks ago that they said that? I don't like the sequence of earnings for the week. And remember, I'm saying that from the perspective of being pushed into a long position in the queues by uh, what the market has done here recently. I am long Alphabet. I am long Microsoft. They have already guided a lot of negative news already. I think from a sequence perspective, the expectation that you could have is that Alphabet and Microsoft are going to give you the better earnings outlook and the better probably guidance and performance. I'm more concerned as we move through the week. So I think tomorrow will be, for me personally, the best of what we're going to see this week. Really? See, it's funny because I, Josh, could suggest maybe Microsoft could be the most quote-unquote worrisome of the week. I mean, Alphabet's going to give you a good read on what they see from the digital advertising market. And coming off of the SNAP disaster, we're going to find out if there was real read-through or, or not from that. But Microsoft, because of the enterprise spend and software, et cetera, and currency, which is more important to you, Microsoft or, or Apple, this week? Uh, well, both. I mean, both statistically are very important to the index, and I think that if they re report results and give guidance uh, and the reaction to those stocks is positive, then I think a lot of people have to have that gut check that Mike Wilson has had, which is to say, maybe we can weather this better than I thought, um, but it, it, it just it, it gives you some sense, though, of how desperate uh, people are in, in clinging to this bull case that, you know, the, the whole thing could rest on the results of a couple of gigantic, incredibly well-run, amazing businesses that are not necessarily at all reflective of what most businesses are experiencing right now. So, look, I don't think that you have to be uh, all in one camp. I think it's reasonable to just say the market is at a big decision point this week. Scott, I think you framed this segment correctly. Um, the GDP report will be a gut check for a lot of people. The Fed's remarks, um, the biggest companies reporting earnings, like all of this stuff is going to go into the mix. But the trend is lower. And I don't know that enterprise spend has to fall off a cliff to vindicate the bears. Um, so it, it, I think the burden of proof remains on the bulls is, I guess, what I'm trying to sum up and say. Uh, and I would love for that, that burden of proof to, to bear out on the bull side. I'm not like rooting for economic destruction. I don't think anybody is. 
Um, but again, I just, I still believe so long as we're below that 200-day moving average, so long as uh, bonds are now pricing in uh, rate cuts coming sooner than, than maybe people thought, you just have to say, like, is this going to be a great environment for people uh, in, in, in the equity market? It might be if you look three years out, but in the near term, I still feel that people should be on their guard. Are you, are you worried about Alphabet this week following Snap? Yes. Yes. I, look, I happen to think Snap has got um, uh, an idiosyncratic problem, which is that their, their user base does not consume ads when they use it for messaging, and that's really all it's good for. So Snap needs people to go over to Stories um, and unfortunately, the content there is terrible. So that's why they're not converting. They actually are the only social media network that's worse than Twitter at, at monetizing usage. I don't think that applies to Meta. I don't think it applies to Alphabet. Okay. So there are some differences there. But Meta and Alphabet have grown to the size that the overall ad spending environment is meaningful. They're no longer just taking share from everyone else and growing on a secular basis. They are both now large enough that the cyclical is going to impact them. Ad budgets are among the first things to get cut when there's massive uncertainty about the next month, the next six months. So yeah, I think both are susceptible. The good news is neither one of them is anywhere near its 52-week high. So to, to Jenny's point, we might have gone a long distance toward pricing in whatever results they end up reporting this week. Yeah, although Apple, Joe's had a really nice bounce from the low, right? Isn't up like 20%? Apple's above its, the, was above its 100-day moving average on Friday, approaching the 200-day moving average at 158.50. And Apple had been really leading the entire market higher from when it made that low, slightly below 130 in June. Mm -hmm. uh, the, Joe, if you were Tim, Joe, if 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 you were Tim Cook, mm -hmm. wouldn't you use this as an opportunity to uh, sandbag and send expectations lower, um, just because everyone else is, and it would be the easier move to make? Like from my perspective. Um, that would that would be intelligent on the part of, of Apple in I terms of giving guidance. I don't, what do you I think? Don't, I don't I don't think Tim runs the mm -hmm. business that way, Scott. Uh, it's J Josh, Josh, I don't think I don't think he runs the business that way. I don't, I don't think he's short term oriented in the, the way he thinks. I think he looks at the business. Of I think he not. looks at where the price is. And, and, you know, back to the, your comments before on the differences between Snap and Alphabet. Let's remember something. OK. Alphabet, all these companies this week, they have the put in place. The put in place is these significant buyback authorizations that they can enact on, right? And I think the same thing uh, goes for Apple. Tim Cook, he looks at Apple at 130, 135, and he's got that buyback authorization and he knows his stock is cheap. So I, I, don't, th I don't think he measures his company in the short term. All right, let's okay. do this. Let's take a break. Semis are coming off their third positive week in a row, but is that rally a head fake? The group moving lower today. The debate is next right here on The Half. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. 
Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're back. Barclays is out today with a bearish call on the semis. They call the rally a head fake and that the correction there is just starting. So they really they downgrade lamb research to equal weight from overweight. That's the crux of their call. They bring the price target down to 450. So four bucks lower than where it is now. They were at 625. OK, Joe. You used to own lamb. This doesn't have to be a I don't really want this to be a lamb conversation. I want this to be about the chips conversation and whether, in fact, this rally, if you want to call it that, is, in fact, a head fake. What do you think? Look, the the evidence will say it is a head fake. I can't I can't not acknowledge that. And I'm long NVIDIA and I'm long AMD. Uh, Lamb research is by far the best large cap semi equipment maker that you could buy. I've owned it in the past. We've all talked about it on the desk. They've got a very strong balance sheet. They've got a nice capital allocation strategy. But their ability to to grow their revenue in future quarters is constrained by the challenges right now in the semiconductor industry. And they're clear there's not the clear visibility that we thought there was going to be in prior quarters when that ultimately would be residing itself. We thought we at this time, we thought we'd get the clarity. We don't yet have the clarity. So you're going to have to hear from management that they are overwhelmingly confident that they're able to come overcome a lot of the challenges that have been placed now for the better part of the last 18 months. I mean, who is in any business is able to articulate? But the semis are the most critical industry to so, the but entire if you're, economy. Then Jenny, if you are, it's, there's a binary thing. Either if you believe you're going to have a recession, how can you be positive on the chips? If you don't believe that we're going to have a recession and the economy is going to remain reasonably strong, then I could see you being bullish on the chips. Well, is it I, that simple? Which no. side of the economic boat you come down on? No, and I don't think it's binary. And this goes back to at the beginning of the year, what was I saying? This is going to be a year that takes hard work. I don't think this is a broad brushstroke year. I don't think you should say buy the semis, so sell the semis. Okay. I think you need, I think we need nuance. Okay, let's, let's do okay. nuance then. Okay, yeah. applied materials. Okay. Why? AMAT, why? 11 times earnings, 13% growth. That's one that's tr- very different than NVIDIA, right? Teradyne's very different than Taiwan Semi. And you need to dig in on each of these and see what's the story, what's the earnings growth, what's the valuation. And you know, Scott, how a while ago we were talking about the story needs to work in concert with the valuation. Some of these, they're not working in concert. Some of them, they are, but they've all been tossed out. But I think you're doing yourself a huge disservice this year if you paint semis with a broad brushstroke. There are really great opportunities. Okay, but why would, tell me why then applied materials will hold up in the face of if you're a bear on the economy, why is applied materials going to hold up better than others? Straight up because of the valuation. 
because it's just not, it's trading at 11 and change times. That's so cheap. It hasn't climbed, or rather, it's already fallen off of the cliff, you could say. When you, when you don't have a frothy, you know, nosebleed valuation, there's not that much downside left to go. So then these and are all ultimately, in your mind, valuation plays? There's, there, it just in other words, you could. But I like to spread it out a little bit, too. And so you can see I'm not buying three, you know, semiconductor manufacturing stocks. I'm buying a testing stock, an equipment stock, and the semi-manufacturer designer, who I think is priced as if it's going to die. Sure, and but it's what not. if cheap becomes cheaper? It could. But you know what? I don't think it's going to become 80% cheaper or 60% cheaper. Maybe it becomes 5% cheaper. And that I can live with. So it's, again, magnitude, right? Magnitude, magnitude, magnitude. Okay. The, um, the other one to keep in focus today is NXPI, uh, NXP, uh, because they report after the bell today. Jim Labenthal, whom um, you probably know, owns that stock. He loves it, which is why I wanted him to join us today to have this conversation. Um, you know, the, the key question is, as someone was asking today on the street, is the exposure here to autos, which you have cited repeatedly as a reason for being bullish, a saving grace or a weak spot? as we think about a slowdown and a peak in, in auto sales. I'm sure you're going to argue, obviously, that it's a uh, saving grace, but why? Yeah, so here's the argument, and then anybody can decide whether they want to uh, invest on this or not. Uh, in the last year, we know that North American light vehicle production was 13 million. Uh, we also have a pretty good feel, based on historical trends, that normal demand for a year like the last 12 months is 17 million. That leaves a 4 million, a 4 million car gap between what was uh, needed and what was supplied. Now, how do you make up for that? You basically run your cars longer on the road. That's why the average age of the car on U.S. highways today is 12.2 years, which is a record high. And frankly, these things can't last forever. Yes. My beloved genuine parts will help fill that gap by keeping them going. But there's only so much you can do before a car needs to be replaced. Uh, even if you think that some of that four million uh, car gap gets eroded because of whatever happens with the economy, uh, still there's going to be a healthy demand uh, for these cars still. Uh, you got Cleveland Cliffs report on Friday. Uh, they say, at least from their product side, they're seeing strong OEM demand hanging in there. So NXP, as a 50% uh, of their business supplying chips to automotive, should do very well, not only on this report, but also the guidance going forward. Sure, but that would suggest that there can never be a slowdown in auto sales of anything meaningful if all these cars are on the road with the statistics that you just cited. That's not really how it works, though. So what I said, just to repeat one of the sentences I said, is that even if you expect that some of that four million gap between what was demanded and what was supplied erodes, and that's in response to a slowing economy. I caught that There's line. There's still a heck of a cushion there in terms of the auto production that is likely to increase and place demand for NXP semiconductors. Do you see how nice he is? Jim's right? so nice. nice. Such a job. So many others would have said, you're an idiot, mm -hmm. right? Didn't you just hear what I you just guys, said? You guys were mixing it up already today. You don't need to add me. I'm not the extra spice you need in the dish today. Is, there a, is there a counter argument, Josh, to, to Jim's positivity here ahead of NXPI and, and where he obviously sees it as it relates to the auto business? <laughs> Look at Josh. I don't, follow NXP, I don't follow NXPI as closely as Jim, but uh, General Motors will report this week, and you probably will not want to own semi-related names into that report. Um, let me just quote the analyst here, Blaine Curtis at Barclays. Many semi-names are up double digits in the last couple of weeks and high teens to 20% since the beginning of June. 
despite as, uh, what we see as large cut to earnings over the next 12 to 18 months, our base case scenario is for 30 to 40% earnings cuts for the semi group. Um, and the capital equipment and memory names are going to be closer to 50%. So if, if that ends up being even close to true, yes, these stocks have come down in multiple, um, NXPI in particular. The stock is off a, a less year-to-date than the multiple is. The multiple is down already 30%. Right. So yes, that's true. But these cycles run longer than a couple of quarters. The up cycles and the down cycles. Mm -hmm. We're in a down cycle. It's just beginning. And not one of these charts that we've mentioned in this segment looks viable. Um, so yes, long-term, et cetera, of course, we all understand that. But these are in very, very dramatic, obvious downtrends. Okay. So Jim, quickly... And I do have to, to make it quick and, and let you go. Last word to you. Yeah, look, Josh raises good points about where we are. And the question is, are we getting worse or are we getting better? Taiwan Semi and Samsung Electronics both gave excellent guidance in terms of chips, uh, chip demand going forward. Micron gave terrible guidance. Now, frankly, I place a lot more weight on the first two because they're a lot larger than Micron. But we're just going to have to see over the coming two weeks what these semiconductor companies say as far as guidance. NXP is a special case because of the automotive exposure. All right. I appreciate it. Uh, hopefully, I'll talk to you right after the numbers come out, too, later on in overtime. We're trying to arrange that, so clear your schedule. If they haven't called you already, we will. That's Jim Labenthal joining us here on The Half. Uh, let's get the headlines now from Seema Modi. Hi, Seema. Here's a news update at this hour. Russia is putting more pressure on Europe by again cutting back on natural gas deliveries to Germany and other Western countries that are supporting Ukraine. The state-owned energy company Gazprom is reducing the flow of gas in the Nord Stream 1 pipeline to just 20% of capacity. It had been operating at just 40% of capacity since it reopened last week after scheduled maintenance. Russia cites problems with a turbine sent to Canada for repairs. Germany calls that a pretext as it moves to reduce its consumption of Russian energy. Vice President Kamala Harris will be meeting with Indiana lawmakers today as the state's legislature holds a special session to consider a GOP proposal that would prohibit almost all abortions. As she arrived, Harris said she stands with the women of Indiana. A Republican official in the state calls her visit a political stunt. And President Biden will meet virtually this afternoon with the CEOs of Lockheed Martin, Medtronic and Cummins, along with some labor leaders as he continues his push for congressional passage of a bill that would promote the domestic production of scarce semiconductor chips. Scott, I'll send it back to you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Seema Modi still ahead. The ETFs you need to watch today, plus the midday movers. We're back right after this on The Half. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. 
Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. ESG, or Environmental, Social, and Governance, has been a hot investing issue for a long time. Despite a market downturn, there are still new ESG products being launched. Last week, industry leader Vanguard launched another ESG fund, the Bailey Gifford Global Positive Impact Stock Fund. It's an actively managed ESG fund. Now, let's talk with Matt Pirro. He's the global head of ESG product at Vanguard. He joins us from Vanguard's headquarters in Malvern, Pennsylvania. Matt, thanks for joining us. Vanguard already has several ESG funds, including ESG funds that are indexed and they're run as exchange-traded funds. This one is actively managed. What's the rationale for launching another ESG fund, and, and how does this differ for some of the other Vanguard ESG funds? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on the show today. Uh, this new fund, that Positive Impact Fund, really we're looking to do a couple of things by bringing this fund to market. You know, firstly, we're going to enable our investors to express their preferences, a, a growing preference we hear, to invest capital in a way that really allows them to invest in companies that are driving positive change and solving some of the world's most challenging issues. But they want to do so without compromising on investment performance. So we brought this to market with Bailey Gifford. It's an actively managed fund, as you mentioned. We're really going to seek to deliver that long-term output performance by identifying those companies that are really well positioned to experience very strong long-term growth as we solve these challenges that the world faces. And we think that active management is a great way to approach this form of investing for those reasons. Yeah, you know, Matt, it, I followed ESG very carefully. It's evolved a lot in the last decade, but it's still facing criticism about the lack of, of standardization. We've covered uh, the SEC chair, Gary Gensler. He says he, he wants more disclosure about what asset managers mean when they say a fund is ESG. Can you, can you tell us how does Vanguard view these efforts to standardize what ESG is? Is it a good idea or should we be happy with different viewpoints on ESG? Well, one thing's for sure is we absolutely think it's important that investors understand the types of products that they're investing in. So when it comes to ESG, that is going to mean being very clear on what the purpose of a product is, what, e what ESG means in the context of that product, and how the manager's going to go about delivering on that. So if I look at this product here that you just mentioned, you know, here's a pro positive impact product. So what we're going to need to make sure we're doing and helping investors understand is exactly what we mean by that and how the holdings in the portfolio demonstrate consistency with that. And I think that's going to continue to be an uh, area of focus for the industry to make sure there's clarity there. Because ultimately, we do need to make sure that investors are well protected here and supported. We don't want to put undue burdens on the investors to have to do uh, too much work, quite frankly, to have to pick through what can be somewhat of a cluttered marketplace today. So I'm not surprised we're seeing that attention. And certainly Vanguard's going to be part of that dialogue as we continue to you know, take that forward for the best interest of investors. Okay, thank you, Matt. Now, we're going to have a lot more on Vanguard's new ESG fund coming up on ETF Edge. That's 1 p.m. Eastern time. Now, Matt's going to be joined by John Hale. He's the global head of sustainability at Morningstar. We'll talk all things ESG 
and even some ETF ideas. ETFedge.cnbc.com halftime report returns with some midday market movers next. All right, we're back. Stocks are mixed today. That busy week that we've all been anticipating is now underway. Let's get to Dom Chu with a look at some of the midday movers. Sort of the, I don't want to call it a calm before the big storm, Dom, but it's like the wind is picking up. I don't know, Scott. Look at these movers because the storm is already here when it comes down to it. I mean, first of all, Weber, check out that stock. It's down 13%. This is after the grill maker posts weaker than expected prime preliminary results. It also suspended its dividend, citing weaker consumer demand and inflation. What else, right? And then the company's CEO is also stepping down, and its chief technology officer will step into that role on an interim basis. So all of a sudden, you got Weber Grills down 13%. So that's huge. Also then, watch what's happening with Newmont Mining, which is lower after it missed on earnings as well, following the big drop in gold prices. What else from a year ago? That stock is down more than 10% so far today, now down 12% in midday trading. And then let's end on shares of 3M, which are trading slightly higher today ahead of earnings before tomorrow's opening bell. The stock has been under pressure, of course, for much of the year, down 24% so far just in 2022. But right now, Ahead of earnings, Scott, 3M could be one to watch. Dow Component could have an influence on that overall market narrative. I'll send things back over to you. Appreciate that, Dom Chu. Thank you very much. I know somebody who is watching that closely and who will be especially closely tomorrow morning, and that is one Jenny Harrington. You own it. Stephen Tusa today, well-known industrials analyst out of J.P. Morgan. We recently cut our estimates to below the low end of the current guidance range and expect the company to cut expectations this quarter as raw materials persist. China headwinds were worse than expected and operating leverage remains weak. That sounds so optimistic into the number. Sounds terrible. And the worst part is maybe um, the worst part is Steve Tusa is really smart. He was right on GE. He'll probably be right on this. But the thing is, if he is right on this, my investment thesis remains intact. So I bought this earlier this year. Which is what? Okay, so it had traded down from 200 and changed to about 140. And when it was at 140, I said, okay, I think they'll earn $10 a share. So in this in this um, report that he puts out, he says, look, I think that they're going to come in below guidance and they'll probably come in around $10.35 a share. Then he goes on to say, my worst case scenario for next year is $9.76 a share. So let's say they don't get to his worst case. And let's say they are at about $10 a share. You have a stock that's already been totally punished. They're going to earn $10. They have a $6 dividend. So you have a 4.5% dividend yield. And it's pretty safe. And it's a pretty good place to hide out. I think this is one where a lot of the bad news is already in the stock, already digested. There is a lot of people, Scott, who own this, who have like zero cost basis or 55 cent cost basis. I think if you're one of those people, you are okay. Um, you know, if you want to buy this and have a 30% return, you're not going to get that. But if you want a 4.5% yield and maybe some GDP-esque upside once things normalize and the economy returns to growth, then you've got then you're in pretty safe hands here. Okay, those are fair fair enough uh, reality check if you want to call Thanks. it that. Thank you. <laughs> All right, natural gas prices they're on pace for the best month in some 13 years. We are making moves there today on the committee. We'll tell you what they are next. Welcome back, natural gas right there up more than four percent today. Up 16% in a week, up 60% this month, and now on pace for its best month since 2009. Brings me to you, Joe. Mm -hmm. You bought Valero and you bought EQT. 
And you're thinking a lot about natural gas these days. I certainly am. I already own PXD. I bought EOG last week, EQT. We're coming into an expiration for natural gas. We're coming into a, a critical period uh, for hurricanes. And we're also going to be coming into the hurricane uh, beyond the hurricane season, we're going to be coming into the winter season as well. Uh, listening to Jeff Curry on the network this morning, he talked about backwardation, which is overwhelmingly present for both crude oil and natural gas. Owning EQT, which is the largest producer of natural gas, both for uh, Marcellus and Utica presence. You're talking about free cash flow generation, Jenny, that's going to accelerate as hedges begin to fall off, which is what ultimately is going to be happening. And they have a very low production cost. So for me, it's one of the reasons why uh, I think you want to add to exposure in natural gas, for sure. Okay. Jenny, I mean, you, you have so much exposure in energy right now between Chevron and Devon and Energy Transfer and Kinder and Nextera and Williams. Tell me about this. These are different ways to play it. So in the portfolios, in the dividend portfolios, we have Chevron and Devon or Pioneer and Devon. And so what I'm hearing on these earnings calls is that they are just minting cash. Like the cash flows are unbelievable. So they're paying out huge dividends. They're making more than they ever have before. But here's the thing, even beyond the weather that Joe talked about, there is just straight up supply demand constraints here, right? There is not enough supply and we need everything we can get. Earlier today, we were talking about this book, The New Map by Dan Jurgen, okay. and his thesis is that we need all the all the fossil fuels we can get all the nuclear we can get all the wind all the solar we need everything and i think that's true so there's just going to be straight up sustained demand um and because our regulatory process is a disaster and it is there's not enough supply coming online well, as long as that happens you're going to see both oil and gas prices stay elevated and the emp companies and all, everything affiliated that, with the pipelines they're going to make and that's exactly why i bought valero because mm -hmm. you're talking about uh, operating refineries at peak capacity right now going into a hurricane season. They're also going to be reporting. Valero is going to report to, uh, in the next couple of days. And you're talking about cash flow generation that is absolutely unprecedented. The margins right now are double what they were from the 04 to 07 yeah. period okay. for the refiners. All right. Final trades after this break. Time, three hours from now, four o'clock Eastern Time. Nancy Davis is with me today. Avery Sheffield is. Brenda Vangelo is. Eugene Profit. Jim Labenthal's back to react to NXP's earnings. He had to. If he sets it up, he's got to come back and face the music or gloat that he was right. So we'll see uh, all of you, I hope, three hours from now in overtime. By the way, a new note, as often happens during our program, comes today from Marco Kalanovic of J.P. Morgan. He says a mild recession is already priced in, and peak Fed pricing is now behind us. That is the headline from Mr. Kalanovic today. Uh, he has been largely more positive than the consensus has been, uh, I'd say, for many weeks. So we shall see. Did you want to make a quick comment? Because we don't have time, but you look like you were saying something. All right. Are you okay? Sounds like he's watching Jenny. That's okay. She said top of the show. Josh Brown, <laughs> quickly, final trade. You first. The most interesting thing happening today, I have no position, is WWE. This is a no-brainer acquisition for Amazon or Netflix. 
I think it's very likely to happen now that Vince McMahon is stepping down. The street seems to think so as well. So no trade on for me yet, but okay. this is very exciting. Think about what your wrestling name would be. I'll come back to you before we're out. Jenny, go ahead. Final trade. Williams, they handle 30% of the average U.S. daily natural gas volumes through their pipelines and gathering and processing facilities. So I'm keeping the theme 5% Joe. dividend yield. Visa. Okay. Did you have a name? No, stop. What would it be? No. How about Joshy Smackdown? All right, How that's about Josh the Red Brown. Lobster. Investopedia <laughs> Red Lobster. All right, we'll see all you. I hope I'll see you in, in, uh, in overtime, the exchanges. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Meet Janice. Unfortunately, her thing is sneeze attacks every time spring returns. I literally sneezed 40 times in a row once. <laughs> Luckily for Janice, at the Walmart Pharmacy, she can get over-the-counter allergy relief for things like sneezing, runny nose, and watery eyes, fast with online pickup or delivery. No more suffering? That's nothing to sneeze at. (laughs) I see what you did there. Help survive allergy season with fast online pickup or delivery from Walmart. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart.